Will you turn with me, please, to the 15th chapter of 2 Chronicles? The 15th chapter of 2 Chronicles. I had to consider with you what we have in this chapter, or most of this chapter. Reading from the beginning, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you, while ye be with him. But if ye seek him, and if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And so on. One of the features of the books of Chronicles is the frequency there is in periods of return, periods of what we might call revival. They, they are a reflection on the Old Testament history of Israel, which is uh, on the more encouraging side of returns to the Lord, periods of return to the Lord. And we have this example of this here in, in chapter 15 of the second book of Chronicles, in which we have uh, what we might call a period of revival. Now, when we th think of revivals, we think inevitably that the crucial moving force in all such a work is the Holy Spirit. You must always remember this. It is the Holy Spirit who is the, the stirrer of revival. And the Holy Spirit moves when and where and how he pleases. This gives revivals of religion a very varied feature or varied features. The means the Spirit uses vary as do the circumstances in which such a work arises. In some ways, there's a distinction to be made between revival and reformation, although it's a very, very fine distinction. A church may have, for example, everything in place. A church may be, we might say, reformed in doctrine, practice, and ordinances, and so on. But have all these things in, in order. We find this, for example, in the church in Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 2, everything was in order, discipline and so on. It was all in order, and yet there was something missing. And so a church may have everything in place in terms of practices and doctrine, and yet be spiritually moribund. This is a very real challenge to every congregation where orthodoxy does prevail, such as in our churches. I think we have an example of this spiritual morbidity or, or moribundness in, in the book of Revelation in chapter 3 in the ca case of the letter to the church in Sardis. This is a church which had a name that it was alive and yet it was spiritually dead, said Jesus to it. You have a name, yet you're alive, but you're dead. We might say they were, they were all but dead because Jesus does say to them, that there were those who had not, who had not yielded to the to the moribund spirit and, and lack of spirituality in in um, Sardis at that time, and that there were there there were those who to strengthen the things that remain, and it may be that this is a repeated feature 
in the lives of churches, strengthen the things that remain. And this is a feature here of this, this uh, particular case. Verse 7, for instance, Be ye strong, therefore, let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So these two things, Reformation and Revival, are closely linked. And the truth is that one could scarcely expect revival in vital religion if the church itself is clogged up or cluttered up with unbiblical practices or doctrines or unconfessed sins. We can't envisage revival without a concern for spiritual life, including prayer, as well as applying the full authority of Scripture truth. And this has been one of the weaknesses of the church in Scotland in more than a century. The gradual, the gradual displacement of the Bible as the, the authoritative source of all its doctrine and practice. The laying aside of it. And today in the church we have a situation akin to the days of the judges. Every man doing what is right in their own eyes. Now in looking at the question of revival... The books of Chronicles are fertile soil. We have a wonderful example here of reformation in the church and spiritual revival among the people. Consider this chapter. This took place, when did it take place? It took place in the days of a king named Asa. He reigned, as, uh, he reigned for a long time in the southern kingdom of Judah or Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. We read in chapter 16 and verse 13 that he reigned for 41 years in the southern kingdom. We told, we're told that he did good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Chapter 14 and verse 2. He began his reign only 20 years after the division of Israel between Israel, the ten tribes of the north, and Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes in the south, which occurred after the death of, of uh, Solomon in 930 or 931 BC. Asa's predecessors as kings of Judah, there were two, were like our secular leaders today, pushing the true worship of God into the background and encouraging the erection of idols and idolatry. Right at the start of his reign, Asa removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah. We have this in chapter 14 and verses 3 and 5. We're also told that he drove out the perverted persons, by which is meant the sodomites and the prostitutes. We have this in 1 Kings 15. He destroyed idols. But it's not just enough to put aside idols of whatever sort they be. There must be a seeking of the Lord. And this is a great challenge to every congregation these days, to seek the Lord. True enough, Asa did not lack an encouraging spirit in this matter. We read here in verse 4, He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God and to observe the law and the commandments. This was a moral as well as a spiritual re revolution or re re reformation. 
And we can say without fear of contradiction that Asa would not have been, a pop been a popular today in the leadership of a nation. We're told that in his days the land was quiet for ten years. There's a strong link between faithfulness to the Lord and his word, most notably in terms of the worshipping of the people and a movement of spiritual revival. The challenge to the church in every age is be fruitful, be faithful to the Lord. Don't shrink from personal and church reformation or revival. Fifteen years into Asa's reign, came a point, came a turning point with the fearless message of this little-known prophet, Azariah, son of Oded. And he was true, a true messenger of God. The mark of it is clear when we are told of him that the Spirit of God came upon him. So I'd just like for a short while to look at some of the, a couple of the features of this revival that we have described here in chapter 15. And the first thing is, from verse 2 to verse 7, see, they turned, they learned lessons from past history. They learned lessons from past history. The basic principle of spiritual life is first stated. The Lord is with you, says Azariah, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. We could say that this is the premise of all true biblical faith. The prophet illustrates it in the following verses. See what happened in history. See how this principle works itself out in the experience of the church of the past. This is the challenge of the scripture message. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, you're familiar with these verses. This is a repeated theme in the scriptures of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the call to men and women everywhere. Under the hearing of the word, seek the Lord, seek the Lord earnestly. It is the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. You are to seek the Lord, you are to come to faith in him, you are to follow him, you are to heed his word, you are not to rest until you find him by faith and rest upon his finished work, rest upon his atonement, rest upon his blood shed for sinners, for such as you. This is the heart of the gospel. Christ has sacrificed for sin. You ought to rest till you find him by faith. And finding him, find peace with God through him, through the cross. You might ask, why seek him? The answer is found in the dread consequences of being alienated from him, of not finding him, of not having him. You'll be lost and without remedy if you don't have Christ. lost and without remedy but seeking the Lord and true spiritual revival is helped 
by re remembrance of the past, <clears throat> by knowledge of what has happened in history, by the record of what God has done in the past and how people have sought the Lord in the past. We must learn from our history, learn from our history. We learn from the mistakes and we learn from the example of the saints of old. And we have, we have many helps in this, in the records that there are and the histories that there are of times of revival and quickening and power from reformations and from periods of awakening. One important preacher here is just how important the preaching of the word is and why attentively, attentiveness to the ministry of the word is so important. What was the feature of low times? What is the feature of low times? A people without a consciousness of God, not hearing the word, bypassing the church and his ministry, having little or no practical concern for the word and prayer in their lives. Do you have a practical concern for the word and prayer in your life, my dear friend? What is a feature of the low times? History teaches that God has never was has never it's one one commentator said God has never been without witness. In the darkest ages men have stood up for him, and one others too, when the confession of Christ meant death, the preaching of the word imprisonment, attendance at public worship and the possession of the scriptures and the confiscation of goods, revivals occurred in just these times. It is a fact that the reviving work has often been an occasion from learning of revivals of the past when the Lord worked in power. It's good for us to remember, to read of past revivals, past reformations. The people here were confronted with their history as an encouragement to seek the Lord in their day. And this is how it should be for us. We must not, my dear friends, settle down to mediocrity in religion. But constantly seek the Lord and his work in our lives, in your life, in your own life. Seek the Lord's work in your life. The remembrance of the past, however, led to something else. Secondly, they were concerned for reformation. They were concerned about it. Now this is uh, the reaction. Let's set to putting things right. Let's address the wrongs that brought the nation and the church down. Let's seek the Lord that we might have courage to remove what needs to be removed and reform what needs to be reformed. Let's seek a restoration in the church of what is agreeable to the Lord and in society what is righteous and just and pure. After all, the lesson from the past is, if we read in verse 7, but you be you, but 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 you be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So we seek the Lord to get behind what is good, and what is right and godly. This can't this can't occur apart from you, apart from you and me going to Him, seeking Him, seeking His help, seeking the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our churches and in our society. This can't happen apart from you and I going to him. 
apart from you and I learning the lesson of the past and repenting of sin and turning to the Lord. We recognize from recent times the scenario that we have in verses 5 and 6. See what we read there in 5 and 6. In those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. A nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all <coughs> adversity. I ask you, when you look at the news today, don't you, don't, 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 doesn't this resonate with you? Don't you realize that there is nothing new under the sun? Here is a perfect description of what we have to face in this world and face because so many are turning their backs on God, are denying his rights in their lives. You get so many people claiming their rights, all sorts of rights for this and rights for that. But the most important of all is the rights of God over our lives. That's the most important and the most enduring as well. Because if we don't submit to the rights of God in our lives, we will perish utterly from his presence. Finally, that's quite a chilling thought, isn't it? What a chilling thought it is. No peace, great turmoil. That is the tenor of our times, isn't it? So what do we need? We need a reformation spirit, a spirit of revival. These people put away the abominable idols. They restored the altar of the Lord. We can look at it this way. Before you set up an altar, that is to say, set your concern to worship and praise the Lord, you have to deal with what is wrong. We can understand that from a personal point of view. You look at your own life. I invite you to look at your own life and ask the question, what's wrong? What's wrong with my life? Which of you are going to say, nothing wrong with my life? Are you going to say that? What is wrong with my life? Am I really saved? You might even ask that question. Do you really love and desire to follow Christ? Examine your life. Examine your life. Whether you be of the faith, says the word. What sort of concern do you have to live by the word of God? Does your life not need transformation? Who says my life, my life doesn't need any transformation? I don't need to improve in my understanding of the word, in my understanding and practice of prayer and holiness. <clears throat> Which of us can say that? Do you not need to dispel carelessness? Carelessness in the ordinances? Neglect of prayer and ministry of the word? Do you not need to dispel carelessness or lack of devotion and enthusiasm for the church and its worship? Where is the enthusiasm we have for it? And won't the enthusiasm be shown by a concern for the salvation of others, for the salvation of souls, for the place of prayer, for the desire, a holy desire, for a reviving work of the Holy Spirit amongst us and Christ being exalted in our midst. When we think of the society in which we live, for sure there are idols which should be abandoned. Everything that degrades life should be abandoned. Everything that degrades life, a godless spirit, a disposition of greed, the menace of drink and gambling. Do you notice the TV advertising now for online gambling. Desperate state of marriage and the Sabbath, gender issues and so on. If the Christian and the church 
are not right and clear about these things, there is little likelihood of overcoming evil with good, and there is little likelihood of encouraging a work of revival or reformation. But there's another thing here, a united concern for dedication to the things of the Lord. And is this not a great need that we have in these days in which we live? Dedication to the Lord. I mean, this is the third point from this passage today. They are prepared to dedicate themselves to the Lord. We have this, I would suggest, in verses 10 to 15. And I mean, are you familiar with the with with the are you familiar with the terminology dedication to the lord and does this describe your life mine how dedicated are we to him to his word to his son to his church to his worship how dedicated is this a strange phenomenon is this a strange way of putting it this is the thrust though of these verses 10 to 15 dedication now people get dedicated to all sorts of things nowadays all sorts of perverse things it has to be said you look out upon the world and you see all sorts of activists going around for all sorts of causes they're dedicated these people think of the dedication of the people to complete, to completely overturn the moral framework of society, and how successful they've been, marriage and sexual morality, what a transformation there's been in our lifetimes. Certainly since the Second World War, but even in the last just ten years, what a tremendous turnaround there has been, and this has been a result of dedication. Perverse den of dedication, LGBTQ plus dedication, if you like. It takes dedication to bring these changes about. And it is perverse, of course. But we may ask, well ask about the de- dedication of those who profess to know the truth, profess to know the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to follow him. These people under Esa, where dead, became dedicated. They offered sacrifices. They made a covenant. They were so strong about it that we are shocked by what we find in verse 13. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever should not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. What a statement that is. But that was their covenant. That was their covenant. It was as if they were giving their lives to faithfulness to God and his word and worship and law. If we are not wholly devout, we might as well be put to death, they were saying. It's good for us just to reflect for a moment. When we come down from the shock of seeing what we read there in verse 13. To consider, to consider what we read in the New Testament from Christ himself about what is called the second death. First death is our physical death. The second death is eternal death that awaits all unbelieving souls. 
So that we find, for example, in Romans, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 11, He that hath an ear, let him hear uh, what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Yes, this is what we're reading about in a sense in um, 2 Chronicles 15. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And we have it in verse, verse 6 of chapter 20 as well. Of Revelation chapter 20. It is fearful this. Blessed and holy is he that is part of the first res that, that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, as, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And verses 14 and 15. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in this book, in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Think of that. Think of that. How fearful is that? How fearful is that? It was as if for them making this covenant in 2 Chronicles 15, it was as if there was treason to forsake devotion. This is clear evidence of the strength of their feeling. But we have greater revelation in a sense what I've just been reading in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 2. We have greater reason to be stirred in relation to the second death, in relation to eternal death. Think of it. Those who have no place for Christ, no place for God in their lives, no place for the word of God. This is what they face unless they repent of their sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. But to return for a moment to this question of dedication, it's far more common, isn't it, for the churches these days, only to be marginally committed, just as far as our convenience allows. Not conscience, but convenience allows. A great change is needed, is it not? And if we are to see a change in our day, there needs to be a sort of determination and dedication on the part of those who profess the Saviour. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful unto death and you will have a crown of life. So verse 15 here is wonderful. All Judah rejoiced at their oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. Here is the reward for consecration, for dedication. The pleasure of the Lord, the pleasure of the Lord, and pleasure in the Lord, joy in the Lord. There is joy, joy in wholehearted seeking of Christ, joy in finding Christ. That will not happen without wholehearted religion without indomitable faith, without absolute determination to seek the Lord with all the heart and soul and mind and strength. 
Are you seeking the Lord with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength? Can you say that? Hand on heart. Such dear friends, though, is the spirit of revival. Personal revival. From sp and personal revival from spiritual decline. And who is to say we are not in a position of declension, spiritual declension these days? We have a measure of it by asking ourselves what enthusiasm we have, what heart we have for the things of God. Blessed are you if you have heart for the things of God. Blessed are you if you have zeal and enthusiasm for the Son of God, for the Word of God, for the worship of God, for the church of the living God. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Well, here's a question I leave with you. Are you prepared for that? That is what the Lord is calling us to. But listen, it is a rewarding seeking. The Lord will be found and the Lord will give peace. This is a revival by any standard. Whatever your situation, however unpromising and discouraging it may seem to be for you. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. The Holy Spirit empowers for service for the Lord Jesus Christ. So would we have an awakening, then we need to pray most earnestly for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives, for the Holy Spirit to come in great power amongst us and within us and help us and enable us and empower us. This is a great need of the day. This is the revival by any standard. We must see it this way. You make a difference, or at least you will make a difference when it is found with you as it was found in the experiences, yes, but deep in the Old Testament with not the, with not the extent of revelation that we have now. We have the full revelation of the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. But, uh, but think, of, think of what was found in the experiences of King Asa and the people of Benjamin Judah then. <coughs> this is exemplary for us too notwithstanding or particularly because we have more revelation than they had. We have the revelation of Christ coming to this world, the incarnation of Christ, the Son of God. We have the revelation concerning the giving of the Holy Spirit. We have the revelation concerning the cross of Christ and what it means for the forgiveness of sins and for the reconciliation of sinners to God. We have, we have the revelation concerning the power of the gospel. And the power of the gospel is assured by the coming of the Holy Spirit. But this is a challenge. Not for the person next to you. Not for the person behind you. Not for the person in front of you. But for you and for me. Not for another church. Not for another country. But for ours. And you and your seeking of the Lord seriously turning to him, dedicating yourself to him and to his service and Christ and his gospel. May the Lord give us grace 
for this. We shouldn't offer to the Lord what costs us nothing. Rather, let there be blood, sweat, and tears, spiritually speaking, for our soul's salvation and blessing and the revival and reformation of our churches, that our churches would be full of the spirit of revival and quickening, the spirit of the, 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 the full of the work of the Spirit of God, sanctifying his people, saving the saving work of the Spirit in the souls of men and women coming under the hearing of the Word of God. Oh, what a, oh, what a day, what a time. May there be an awakening and may you and I know what it is to be effective in well-doing, effective in seeking the salvation of the lost and seeking in our own lives to know more of Christ to know more of his work, heart and soul and mind and strength, being dedicated to him with our whole life. May the Lord bless these thoughts upon his word. Let us pray. <coughs> Lord, be merciful to us. We are unworthy and sinful. And Lord our God, we pray that thou would stir our hearts <coughs> to be faithful to Christ, to be faithful to his word, to seek heart and soul, his worship and praise and adoration, and Lord, to be faithful witnesses in this world, this fallen world, and to send awakening to us, awakening to our churches, awakening to our land, and grant, Lord, that we would see times of refreshing from thine own presence. So hear us now, Lord, we pray. Forgive us all our sin and grant us thy presence and power. In Jesus' name and for his precious sake. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Let us sing in conclusion in Psalm 85, verses 6 to 13. Psalm 85, verses 6 to 13. That in thee may thy people joy, wilt thou not us revive? Show us thy mercy, Lord, to us, do thy salvation give. I'll hear what God the Lord will speak, to his folk he'll speak peace, and to his saints, but let them not return to foolishness. To them that fear him, surely near is his salvation, that glory in our land may have our habitation. Truth met with mercy, righteousness and peace kissed mutually. Truth springs from earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven high. Yea, what is good the Lord shall give, our land shall yield increase. Justice to set us in his steps shall go before his face. These verses of Psalm 85, that in thee may thy people joy. That in thee may thy people
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.